through this series over four weeks, and this series is called Own the Vision. And the reason that this has been called this series is because this is not something that is just for me, this is not something just for the leadership of our church, but this is something for all of us together to be able to own as we are on mission for Jesus together. Um, the church is not made up of just a few people or not just made up of, uh, of the staff team who you saw earlier. The church is not the building, it's not the place, it is the people of God wanting to advance the kingdom of God, which is all of us together. And the reason that we are owning this together is not because I am saying these things over the, uh, over the next four weeks, but because we genuinely believe that what we are going to be speaking about over these four weeks uh, are things that God has been guiding us to together. This has actually been a six-month, probably seven-month journey that we've been really on uh, in the life of our church leading up to this point. Now, at this point last year, early 2021, after the lockdown year that was 2020, uh, we began to meet together again uh, and have a lot more time with our, with our uh, together in our in-person services. As we started meeting back together, I had multiple people on both our leadership and just multiple people in the life of our church who were coming to me and who was saying, Dave, we, we really genuinely believe that now is a really pivotal time in the life of our church and God is calling us together into a new season. Now, people didn't know what this season was going to look like or uh, what it was going to involve, but still, many people came to me and were saying these, these same words that God was doing uh, a new thing in the life of our church. Now, this was an exciting thing for, for me to hear. We had a, a whole heap of new staff joining uh, the team. Um, there was people who were coming to me with, with expectancy. We were moving into a year focusing on prayer. And at this time last year, many of us were thinking that this was going to be the end of, of COVID. A year later, and, uh, and we're not quite there at the, at the moment. We still have, have COVID as, uh, as part of our, our society. Um, and it didn't take long for us to, to realise it wasn't going to be the end of this, but it didn't change the fact that God was speaking to many people um, and, and saying to them that God is doing a new thing in the life of our church. And on the 17th of May last year, 17th of May 2021, I met with the church council, which is our key uh, governance group in the church, and I shared this with them. I shared that, uh, that many people are, have been feeling this, and we agreed together that this is what God was doing. We agreed that God was preparing us for fresh vision for our church here at Brackenridge Baptist. Over the next six months, this began a, uh, a journey across our church as we spoke about this. We spoke about this in Sunday services and there were multiple uh, staff meetings and church council meetings and conversations that we had uh, surrounding what this new thing might be, this fresh vision might be that God is calling us into. But more importantly than that, 
We didn't just want to speak about this and have conversations about this. We wanted to seek God and understand what is his will? What is he calling us to? What is he saying and where is he guiding us to in the future? And the way that we are able to discern this is not just through myself, but through all of us seeking God together in prayer. And in August, we set aside 21 days specifically devoted towards asking this question, God, where are you leading us? And we prayed this together. Now, as I've said, vision is not something that is just dictated through one person up the front, but through God speaking to all of us by his spirit and through his word and telling us where he is leading us to in the future. And part of my role, part of the reason I was called to, uh, to be a part of this church, to be your lead pastor, has been to distill all of the different things that I've heard over the past six months and, uh, and bring it together to help us understand where God is leading us to in the future. And to start our time together, what I wanted to do is just to share with you some things, uh, some of the ways that God has been speaking to us over the past six months. On the screen, you're actually going to see some of the different ways that God has been speaking to us. Can we just go to the next slide, please, Barb? Thank you. That'd be great. Some of the specific things that... Uh, uh, specific ways that God was, was speaking to us. There were prayer cards that people um, uh, put in these, these little boxes that we had, and here's some of the things, uh, some of the things that, uh, that God was saying to us. God was saying that God is recommissioning us. God is calling us to be a church with open doors that are easy to walk into, a church with soft points. God's calling us to be a hub of community for all. God is calling us to believe Really deeply, truly believe that God can and will do more than we can even imagine. God's calling us to throw your old nets away, prepare new nets, fresh ideas, new ideas. And things will be different, but there will be fresh fire. As we continued to pray and as we had these prayer meetings together, there were, um, there were moments where several things and several themes continued to come up as we prayed together. And some of the, um, the, uh, the phrases and th that were repeated uh, in prayer regularly um, were these, uh, being equipped and empowered, being multi-generational, building bridges, a church that grows and builds and spreads. A church of deep community, bold and courageous in sharing faith, a refuge of healing and being united together. And then on top of this, our, our leadership teams were meeting through this time and some of the ways that, uh, that God was speaking to our leadership was saying that it won't be easy, there will be a cost. God is doing a new thing. God's calling us to move ahead with no fear. There will be blessing. God's calling us to step out of our comfort zone, to focus on relationship and to remain unified. And I just really want to thank all of you who are involved uh, in that time, all of you who are involved in those 21 days of prayer and fasting. I'm just looking at a few people here like you, Cherie and Jeff and Annie and Lynn and others who are involved in that time and, uh, and very committed. I'm very, very grateful to all of you who... Um, who set aside time to be able to seek God in prayer and seek his will for our church. On top of this, there were three words that regularly came up 
in our prayer meetings as we, as we met together, and these three words that came up fairly regularly were these, these words, life, freedom, and hope. Life, freedom, and hope. Now, these words, um, I was a bit confused why these in particular were the words that continually came up during our, our prayer meetings and, uh, and people were saying these words in that order, that we would be a church that, um, that shares the life, freedom and hope found in Jesus. And the, th- the reason I found this so strange is because these words were on my heart for months before leading up to our prayer times together. Now, I forbid myself from saying these words in this order during those prayer times. Otherwise, you know what can happen? If, uh, if someone says certain things in prayer meetings, then someone might just start repeating what you say if you, uh, if you say it too often. And yet, regularly from different people um, in, our, in our prayer times, these words continually came up. Life, freedom, hope. And they came up in this specific order. And as we were praying, as God was leading us in these times of, uh, of seeking his face together, what I began to realise is that all three of these different words, they are different aspects of the discipleship journey that we go through. First one, life. When we come into relationship with God, when we know God, when we uh, place our faith and trust in Jesus, what happens in that moment is we are then pronounced saved. We are then, uh, our identity then is moved from death to life. This is what happens when we are saved. In Ephesians 2 verses 1 to 5, it says this, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath, But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. God, in his rich mercy, made us alive. We were once dead in our transgressions, and now, through what Christ has done for us, through his spirit coming and dwelling within the heart of every believer, we are now pronounced Alive, And this is what happens when you know Jesus. As we grow in our relationship with Jesus, we begin to become more like him. And the language that we see throughout scripture is that we are set free from the shackles of sin that we, were once, uh, that we had once binding us. In Romans 6 verses 17 to 18. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin... You have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. In Galatians 5.1, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. This is what sanctification is. This is what becoming more like Jesus looks like. Understanding the freedom that we have 
in Jesus because of what he has done for us. And then the final thing that we have as disciples of Jesus is we have a hope of an eternity with Jesus, that one day we will see him face to face and all things will be made right. In 1 Peter 1 verses 3 to 4, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. What an inheritance. What a hope that we have. It'll never perish, spoil or fade. And this is kept in heaven for every single one of us who believes in Jesus. The more that this was spoken in prayer, the more that I heard this and had this uh, coming into my, my own ears and into my own mind, the thing I began to realize is that God was using these three words, life, freedom, and hope, to inform our mission. Our mission, as we spoke about in a series about six months ago, our mission, which answers the most important question that we can ask as a church... Why do we exist? What's the point of Brackenridge Baptist Church? Why do we have events and ministries and services and life groups and KYB groups? What is the purpose? Why? Why does any of this exist? This is the most important and foundational question that we can have answered for everything that we do. And if we don't clarify this, the tendency can be for us to drift away from what this church was originally here to do. It's very easy for churches to drift into places where they start to look more like a club or just a large group of people with similar interests and ideas and not stay on mission for God, which is to advance his kingdom and see more people come into relationship with Jesus. And these three different things are important for us to understand our, uh, as we bring clarity to who we are so that we don't drift away from who God wants us to be. These three different things. Our mission, which answers the question, why? Why do we exist? What is the purpose of Brackenridge Baptist Church? Our values, which we'll be speaking about next week, which answers the question, who are we? How has God shaped us? What is the flavour of our church? What do people feel like when they join? this community here at our church and the final question which is what we'll be speaking about uh, on vision sunday this last question where where are we going what is the dream and the picture that god is giving his people for the future all three of these questions are essential for us to ask so that we understand and stay uh, united together, understanding where God is calling us. And these are building blocks that build on one another. And so today, we'll be speaking about this why. These three words that inform our mission. Life, freedom and hope. Now these three words, life, freedom and hope, they on their own don't say that much. They're just three words strung together and they don't tell us a, a huge amount and yet they are three aspects of the disciples journey but something needs to tie them together for us to understand what they they really mean 
And as I continued to reflect over the past six months, after our time of prayer, and tried to understand, Lord, what is... What are you trying to do through these three words? Why did you bring us these three words in prayer? How are you shaping this? I began to see that all three of these, life, freedom and hope, they are tied together in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And for the rest of our time, I just want to spend a brief amount of time looking at this. So if you have your Bibles, please turn uh, together to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And, uh, and it'll be up there on the screen as well for you to, uh, to read. It says, Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, like some people, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter, written on our hearts, known and read by everyone. You show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Such confidence we have through Christ before God, not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit, I'll just do, the spirit gives life. Now, if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, transitory though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? If the ministry that brought condemnation was glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. And if that was transitory, came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what is passing away, but their minds were made dull, for to this day, the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom." And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Now, to understand this passage, there is a few things that happen right up the top of it for us to, uh, to understand what Paul is saying here. In the first paragraph, the first three verses of uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, um, Paul is addressing certain people who have come against him and have said, your ministry has no credibility because you don't come with references and letters from, uh, from certain people. And they are, uh, he is coming against these opponents of him and are saying that, uh, they are saying that he has no external accreditation. Essentially, um, the, the people who are coming against Paul are saying that his ministry lacks uh, credibility because he is not one of the original 12 apostles. And having 
no reputation uh, means that his reputation, uh, that his ministry and his teachings have no value. But the thing that Paul pushes back on fairly abruptly in, uh, that we see here is that the reason that his ministry has value um, is not based off any external people or external letters saying that he is credible, but because the spirit of the living God has come into the hearts and lives of the people of the Corinthian church. People in the Corinthian church have been saved and had their lives transformed. And it's because of that that Paul's ministry has, uh, has credibility because the Holy Spirit has, uh, has come into human hearts. And then what he goes on to do for the rest of 2 Corinthians chapter 3 is he goes on and he tells them what happens when the Spirit of God comes into the life of a believer. When they are moved from death to life, what happens then for uh, anyone who knows Jesus? And the first thing that he speaks about is that the Spirit of God brings life. In verses 4 to 6, such confidence we have through Christ before God, not that we are competent out in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our confidence, our competence, sorry, comes from God. He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but by, of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Once again, at the beginning of verses 4 and 6, Paul is addressing here that his competence and his credibility doesn't come from external sources or having the right letters from the right people, but his competence comes solely from God. The fact that his ministry has seen change in people's lives. And he speaks towards the new covenant that we are now a part of. This new covenant where the Spirit takes people from death to life because of the Spirit's work. Because of the Spirit's work, we are no longer dead like we once were, but we are now entered into a saving relationship. Once we enter into a saving relationship with Jesus, we experience life. Later on in this passage, he goes on and expands this idea on verses uh, 13 and onwards. Paul tells us that because we are under the new covenants and we now have the spirit of the living God living within us, there is now something that changes in how we view the world. In verses 15 to 18, even to this day when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts, but whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So we see here where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. There is freedom that believers experience because the Spirit of God is living within them. Now, you notice that uh, the language that is surrounding this is speaking of the Holy Spirit coming into the life of a believer and unveiling certain things uh, on their heart. Um, something like a veil is removed from our hearts, uh, which happens by the Spirit of God. And more and more and more, as this veil is removed, we begin to see the glory of God and we experience freedom from sin, freedom from guilt, freedom from shame. 
One of the things I've had the opportunity to do uh, a little bit of um, uh, as I've been uh, doing ministry is I've had the opportunity to do uh, weddings for people and it's always a great honour to be able to, uh, to marry two, two people together. Um, and the groom is always, um, generally speaking, has the same attitude. They try and play it really cool for most of the day. Um, and beforehand, I'm asking, look, how are you going? How are you, how are you feeling about the day? Um, they're like, oh, I'm fine. I'm totally all good. But then as soon as they see the bride start making the way down the, uh, down the aisle, what happens? <laughs> they just start, they just really try to hold it together but it's not easy for them. And as their bride makes their way, um, they, uh, they just start crying a, a little bit. As we go through the service, it's a, it's a beautiful time together. And some brides, what they, they, uh, what they choose to do is they keep their veil on throughout the, whole, uh, throughout the whole ceremony. And there's that wonderful time where I get to say the wonderful words of, I now pronounce you husband and wife. You may now kiss the bride. And it's in that moment that this husband, this new husband, now he has been pronounced husband. He is now able to remove this veil from his wife's face. It is in that moment that he is able to, uh, to see his wife in all of her wedding beauty. And it's in that moment that he can give her a mighty, massive kiss. And they, uh, that's the bit of the day that usually the husbands have been looking forward to the most. That's, uh, that's an exciting part of the, of the day. When we have the Spirit of God coming and living within us, when we are moved from death to life, there is something about our identity that changes. Something is now pronounced on you. You are now pronounced a Christian, a Christ one. And as we go along in our relationship with Jesus, the language that is used here is something like a veil is constantly being removed from our heart. And what do we experience? We experience freedom. As we begin to see more of the glory of God, as our perspective uh, on life changes, this veil, uh, that, that is caused by this veil being removed. As this veil is removed, how we view God changes, how we view ourselves change, how we view people around us changes. How we view sin changes. And what is the result? We experience freedom. This is what is, uh, Paul is speaking about here. That freedom is the result of having, uh, having the life of God coming into us. By the Spirit, we experience life, freedom, and hope. final thing that we experience is hope. Verses 10 to 11. What was glorious... Has, uh, has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. And if what was transitory came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that that lasts? Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. This is our hope that we have. We have a hope of a glory that will last forever and ever and ever. And Paul's referencing 
the glory of the old covenant, which was a, uh, a temporary glory, and now he is uh, comparing it with this everlasting glory that every single believer can experience through Jesus. This is the hope of glory that every single one of us has, that one day we will see Jesus face to face and he will make all things right. Experiencing life, freedom and hope when we have the spirit living within us. This was true when Paul wrote it to the church 2,000 years ago and this is true for us here today. And this is why we exist. This is why our church exists. To experience and share the life, freedom, and hope found in Jesus. Yes, we want to experience this for ourselves, but we also want more and more and more people in our community, in our world, to know this, that this is what Jesus brings. It's what Jesus came to die for us, to give us, so that we might know freedom, life, freedom, and hope, it's only found in his name. And everything that we do in our church is for this person. We are not just a group of people with similar interests or ideas or who take part in similar activities. We are a people filled with the Spirit of God who are here to experience and share the life, freedom and hope found in Jesus. And it's only because of the life death and resurrection of Jesus, that we are able to experience this. And as we start this series together, um, this is what we're going to be doing. We're going to be taking communion together and knowing that, yes, we, we do exist to experience and share the life and hope, uh, the life, freedom and hope found in Jesus. But the only way that we are able to do that, the only way that we are able to share that is because of what Jesus has done for us on the cross because Jesus came 2,000 years ago, when he stepped out of heaven, came to this earth as the perfect sacrifice for our sins, it is for that reason that we are now able to have this as a reality in our life. So I'm just going to ask the music team to come up right now. And, um, and uh, Shannon, if you just want to play, mate, that'd be, that'd be great. And I'm just going to, um, if you just want to open this right now, but we are going to take these elements together. As Shannon's just playing right now, I do invite you to just spend some time. Um, yes, reflecting on the wonderful gifts that God has given you and gives all of us. He does bring us life, freedom and hope that is only found in his incredible name. But that is only because of the death of Jesus, because he died the death that every single one of us should have died. So just take a moment right now. Just take a couple of minutes just as the team is playing and just reflect on that. Don't take these elements yet. We'll take them together, um, united as a family. Um, yeah, we will share in these. So just reflect on the sacrifice that Jesus made for you before we share this together.
while they were eating, Jesus took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat. This is my body. Let's take this together. Then he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink from it all of you. This is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Let's drink together. Our faithful King Jesus, who is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins, we just want to give you praise and thanks and honour. We give you praise and thanks and honour for what you have come and done for us. We don't want to take it lightly that your, your death was died on our behalf so that we might be able to experience life. And we do want to make the most of the life and the freedom and the hope that you have given us. So really do pray, God, that this won't be a thing that we keep to ourselves, but this will be something that we speak every day, that we share every day with those that we come into contact with. Oh Lord, we want to see more and more people come into relationship with you to know these truths of what you have come to bring. You have come to move people from death to life. You have come that people will no longer be slaves to sin, but will experience freedom. You have come that we may not just have the hope that, ex- that we can experience in this world, but hope of an eternity and a future with you. So God, use us for that purpose. Lord, we do thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for how you've been faithful to this church for so many years. And we do praise you because you will be faithful to us in the future where you guide us and where you lead us. Our great, precious, amazing God. In your name, amen.